Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast. It's a show filled with family history research strategies and techniques, news and entertainment, and inspiration. And I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hello and welcome to Genealogy Gems Podcast, episode number 146. This is the show where we cut through all the online noise and I bring to you the information and the gems that you can use for success in your family history life. Now, what do I mean by your family history life? Well, you'll just have to keep listening because I'm going to be wrapping up today's episode with some thoughts on that subject. But first, I have some genealogy news for you some of your emails, and Maureen Taylor is here to tell us about a new history film that she has in the works. So let's jump right in and look at what some of the important news items are that have crossed my desk in the last week. I am so excited because Google has just released Google Earth version 7. Now, Google Earth, of course, is an amazing tool for genealogy. And as you know, I have a DVD series that teaches you all about that. So new enhancements are always welcome in my book. Over the last few months, Google's been focused on kind of beefing up the mobile version of Google Earth for your smartphone, for your tablets, but really using it on your computer desktop is just much more practical, especially for family history projects. So the good news here is that the new version 7 brings the new features that they've been focused on in the mobile arena to your desktop computer. Now, this new version enables you to explore a number of cities around the world in 3D, from Long Beach, California to Rome, Italy. And the 3D imagery uses the enhanced modeling capabilities that were previously found only on the mobile devices. So what does all that mean in everyday speak? Well, 3D imagery is when they create a three-dimensional kind of graphic digital model of a building or a historic structure like the Colosseum in Rome. And they add that to Google Earth so that when you zoom in to Rome, Italy, and uh, you go to the Colosseum, you're going to find a 3D model that literally pops up sort of on the screen. And that happens when 3D buildings, the feature in the layers panel is turned on. And those 3D structures will pop up on the screen and you really get kind of a three-dimensional experience. Now, in my video CD, Google Earth for Genealogy Volume 2, I go into detail on 3D models and even give you resources for how you can create your own 3D models, how you can find free ones on the internet to include in your family history tours, and even how to get one made of your own house if you want to. Or how about this, your ancestors' home. So by downloading the new Google Earth 7, you can take a look at even more 3D imagery for yourself. It's really an incredibly cool experience. Uh, You're going to find comprehensive and accurate tours of more than 11,000 popular sites around the world, including um, Google's growing lists of cities where this new 3D imagery is available. Probably the biggest change with this new version 7 is the tour guide feature. This is brand new. It serves as sort of a virtual local expert (laughs) right there on your screen that suggests places nearby that you might want to explore. 
and it provides you background information on the location that you're visiting. Now you'll find the tour guide along the bottom of the screen. It sort of looks like a um, film strip of thumbnail images and they'll show you the images of various tours that are available on the area of the globe that you're currently looking at. And of course, the thumbnails will change as you zoom around the world, wherever you are on the Google Earth globe, those are the options of tours that they're going to be showing you. So all you have to do is click on one of the tours and you will embark on a virtual flyover of the famous historical and cultural sites that are close by. It's educational and some fun facts are going to pop up that come from Wikipedia. Those appear on your screen as you're flying around and touring the site. Now, a really fun tour to try out for your first one. Go to Rome, Italy. Who doesn't want to go to Rome, right? And check out the Colosseum. Now, make sure that the box is checked next to 3D buildings over in the layers panel um, so that you can really get the full effect. And as you're viewing the tour and seeing it kind of come to life in a three-dimensional way, just start to think about and imagine the possibilities for a tour like this of your ancestors' homeland or their neighborhood. I mean, you know what I'm saying here. And that's what that volume two uh, video CD is all about. The idea here is, is that we're trying to really bring the, the genealogical information that you're finding to life so that those non-genealogists in your life can visualize it and so that you can better visualize the whole picture the context of your ancestors' lives. It really becomes an analysis tool for your family history research. Now, according to Google's recent announcement, Google 7, of course, now includes this comprehensive, accurate 3D imagery that they've already made available on Android and the iOS operating system, which, of course, is on the Apple side of things. Um, and they've got that for cities like Boulder, Boston, um, Charlotte, Denver, Long Beach, Los Angeles, Portland, San Antonio, San Diego, Santa Cruz, Seattle, Rome, and uh, even here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Now, as well as a handful of metropolitan regions, including Avignon, France, and Austin, Texas, Munich, Germany, Phoenix, Arizona, and Mannheim, Germany. So whether you're at home on your computer or on the road with your cell phone or iPad, you have even more of the world at your fingertips. Downloading it is really easy. I'll have a link in the show notes or just go to Google and do a Google search on Google Earth and uh, get that download on your computer and check it out. Take a tour or two. And I'll also have a uh, link to a list of updated imagery so that you really get a sense of it. it, it they really are continually adding imagery all the time. So even if you don't have 3D models in the area that you're interested in or you don't have um, very current imagery don't fret because the satellite views, the street views, these are things that are all being updated on a regular basis. So it's just a matter of time that the area that you're looking for is going to come up. Now, uh, there is a favorite genealogy program out there that has a fresh update as well. Roots Magic. Roots Magic 6 is now available. And you can see what's new in this newest version of the genealogy database program and a brand new video that they've got published on their website. I love that because, you know, you can read about what's new, but if it's new, you're not that familiar with it, right? So it's nice to really see it in action and have a sense of what you're going to get. 
Uh, in the video, you are going to see features like online publishing, okay, which makes it really easy to share your information online, including notes, sources, and pictures. And you can choose which information to include, and then you can publish it for free on your own page at rootsmagic.com. You'll also see the Find Everywhere feature. With a single search, you can now find every record in your file containing the text that you want. You can quickly find people, families, notes, sources, to-do items, research logs, the whole thing. And then you could edit those found records directly from the search results. There's also the live timeline view. Now, this is a live edit panel on RootsMagic's timeline view, which makes this one of the most powerful editing features ever. It makes connections to your database while viewing it in context with other family members' life events. And you can also link people, sources, places, and more to websites using Roots Magic 6's new web tags. In this free video, you're also going to get to see the County Check Explorer, which allows you to look up a county, state, or a country from a multinational database. And it can even show you online maps of county boundaries for that date. That comes in really handy for the genealogist. So if you are a current paid user of Roots Magic, um, you can now upgrade the program for 1995. And uh, for new users, they can purchase Roots Magic for $29.95. You go to rootsmagic.com slash rootsmagic. Um, but if you are listening to this episode when it first comes out here in December of 2012, you're in luck because right now through December 20th of 2012, they have a special holiday offer. During this special holiday sale, you can order gift copies of Roots Magic 6 for just $19.95 plus shipping. And even better, you can order other products at that same $19.95 price. There is no limit on the number of discounted gift copies that you can buy your friends and fellow genealogists during the limited time offer. Again, it expires December 20th, and you'll receive the full program for each copy that you order. So again, you can take advantage of that, um, this special holiday offer at rootsmagic.com slash holiday offer. And I'll have that link in the show notes. Or if you want to, you can call them at 1-800-ROOTS-MAGIC. Now, the next item here is that the Family Tree Service is coming soon to FamilySearch.org. Now, according to Family Search's press release recently, they say within the next few months, Family Search will make Family Tree available to everyone on its website. The first of many updates planned for FamilySearch.org. Family Tree will provide a free and engaging way to discover, preserve, and share your family history. Family Tree will also offer specialized tools to make temple work for ancestors easier and more convenient. You can watch the Introduction to Family Tree um, video. I'll have a link for you in the show notes that shows seven reasons to be excited about Family Tree. So, Again, FamilySearch.org is a free website. It is uh, put together by the folks at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It is free and available to all genealogists. And this new family tree feature, it's going to allow you to save information into a genealogy tree, easily submit the names of ancestors for temple work, if you're a member of the church, edit and delete incorrect data, including relationships, connect and collaborate with others on shared family lines, 
show where information came from. You can even link to online photographs and documents. And Family Tree offers an easy way for everyone to work together on shared family lines. It also says here that Family Tree is also integrated into the search feature on FamilySearch.org so that you can find records and use them as a source of information for the people in your Family Tree. This is a big enhancement. And if you have questions about what Family Tree will be like or how it's going to work, um, again, you can log into their special training website. It offers free online courses, how-to videos, informational handouts, and step-by-step training. I'll have a link to that in the show notes for you. And um, you can, again, watch that introductory video to really see what this is all about. And uh, it's coming down the pike, so it should be out here fairly soon. But it will be really interesting to see how that works and, and what the response is to it by genealogists out there. Also, as you know, the folks at Family Search put on the Roots Tech Conference every year in Salt Lake City, and they've published some really interesting statistics on the 2012 conference. Did you know that last year, in 2012, over 4,000 registered attendees from 46 U.S. states, 6 Canadian provinces, and 23 additional countries attended Roots Tech? And they had over, get this, 50,000 views of the live streaming sessions. I was fortunate to be one of the presenters for one of those live streaming sessions. And it's amazing. I hear from people around the world who saw the session, who uh, asked me about it or provide feedback. And it's really amazing how we're all connecting. And Roots Tech is absolutely on the forefront of making that connection possible. They also had more than 90 key bloggers attend from Australia, Canada, Israel, the UK, and of course, the US. And they had uh, 20 official sponsors, lots of backing, not only from the genealogy community, but they also had folks like Microsoft and Lexmark and other companies, Sprint and HP, the technology companies also getting behind this conference, which I think is really terrific. And 93% of attendees reported that they were very satisfied or satisfied with the value of the information that they received at Roots Tech. So I would say those are pretty good numbers. And if you want to be among the throngs of excited genealogists at Roots Tech 2013, now is really the time to get registered because as of this episode, which I'm recording again in December of 2012, you can still get the early bird registration price. So here's the breakdown on that. The early bird price for the full three-day pass to Roots Tech, which is held in Salt Lake City, Utah, and that is coming up in March of 2013. Now, normally the price is $219, but right now the early bird registration for the full three-day pass is $149. You can also get a one-day only pass for $89, and students can get a three-day pass with their student ID for just $39. They've also got a new getting started three-day pass for beginners. So if, if you're new to genealogy, and you've been hearing about conferences, you really want to get into it, I think Roots Tech would be a fantastic place to get started. And this pass is really the way to go. It's a terrific way to get your feet wet at a really reasonable price. So the Getting Started three-day pass, which gives you access to over 30 classes in the beginner track, is just $39 for the early bird price. And then the regular price will be $49. And since Family Search really wants to encourage beginners to really give the genealogy conference experience a try. If you're a little shy about three days, 
try out the Getting Started One Day Pass, uh, particularly if you're in Utah in the Salt Lake City area. It's going to give you access to a selection of fundamental classes to get you started for just $19. Now, I'm certainly looking forward to Roots Tech, and I'm going to be teaching a variety of classes again this year in addition to having my booth in the exhibit hall. I'm also going to be doing some free demo classes. Be sure and check out the demo area. Even if you just stop by and check out the expo hall and you're not um, doing classes, you can go over and attend some of these free demonstration classes, which are terrific. I am really looking forward to doing a couple more this year. I will have um, the schedule on my website. And also, if you come by the booth at Ritz Tech, I'll have a list there of when you can uh, join me over in the demo area. So I hope that you get to Ritz Tech 2013 if you possibly can. Look at it, get it on your calendar, because um, I look forward to seeing lots of you out there in Salt Lake City. Now, switching gears, let's head overseas. The National Archives of Ireland has launched a new genealogy website. Okay, here's the address, genealogy.nationalarchives.ie, which will initially host the 1901 and 1911 censuses, tithe apportionment records from 1823 to 837, and soldiers' wills from 1914 through 1917. And there are also plans to add other records in the coming years, including calendars of wills and administration from 1858 to 1922. So again, that's the National Archives of Ireland. It's at genealogy.nationalarchives.ie. And you can find Scottish wills from 1902 to 1925 now online at the Scotland's People website at UK. And they've added wills and testaments from 1902 to 1925 to the website. The collection now includes 1 million wills covering the period from 1513 to 1925. And since we've covered Ireland and Scotland, let's stop by England. And a great place to find old newspapers from England um, would be findmypast.com. The site has just published millions of pages of historical newspapers from not only England, but also across Wales and Scotland as well. This collection contains local newspapers for the period of 1790 through 1950, and they have more than 200 titles that are included, and they'll be adding more as time goes on. So, of course, we're looking forward to more newspapers coming online. And speaking of newspapers online, Ancestry.com has launched a new website. It's called Newspapers.com. Can you imagine what it took to get a hold of the URL address Newspapers.com? <laughs> I imagine somebody's been saying on that for a long time. Well, Ancestry.com has it now. Uh, their online newspaper website offers high-quality collections of digitized and completely searchable U.S. newspapers dating back centuries, they say. Uh, they've put out a press release at the end of November of 2012 saying that they had launched newspapers.com and they are calling it a powerful and affordable new website designed to offer a historically rich collection of more than 800 newspapers dating from the late 1700s into the early 2000s. Comprising more than 25 million pages, newspaper.com offers a trove of historical and present day newspapers ranging from the New York Times to treasured small town and local newspapers throughout the United States. Now, it can get kind of confusing when a larger website like this 
launches a um, more of a niche website, as in newspapers.com, because uh, it brings up a lot of questions to mine. And certainly I had questions as soon as I had seen the press release about the new website. Um, so, of course, some of the questions that would come to mind would be, is this collection going to include newspapers that are already included as part of our Ancestry.com subscription? Or is it going to be completely separate? Uh, will there be um, overlap? <laughs> is it going to change over time? All of those kinds of things. For instance, the first question, are the newspapers currently not part of Ancestry.com records and therefore accessible to U.S. and world subscribers? And the answer to that is that most of the newspapers on the new website of newspapers.com, uh, which is over 15 million of the 25 million pages, are not part of Ancestry.com's records. But then again, if we say that 15 million of them are not part of it, that means maybe about 10 million um, you will also find as part of your Ancestry subscription. Ancestry has said that they really plan to have newspaper.com's user experience be better optimized for finding and viewing newspapers specifically. So if that's an area that you're really focused on, then that site might be the best way to go. But I think also uh, my assumption would be that they are reaching out beyond genealogists with a a site called newspapers.com. Because as you can imagine, anybody doing research, anybody looking up uh, things from the past for a variety of different types of projects, including genealogy, would benefit from a site like this and wouldn't be uh, interested in the full-blown Ancestry.com membership, which is, of course, all of the genealogical records. And, and of course, you know, another question of mine would be, where did the collection come from? Uh, Did Ancestry buy another vendor? You know, how did they acquire it? How did this go? Most of the content, according to Ancestry, was purchased by Ancestry from a third party, though they're not saying who that is. Uh, The new content that they are producing themselves is content that they're digitizing and they're indexing from microfilm and other sources. And as I understand it from the folks at Ancestry, uh, their plans regarding adding new images in the future, they are actively producing millions of new pages per month. That's the goal from microfilm. Um, Now that the site is live, they're hoping to kind of engage in discussions with several newspaper publishers and microfilm owners to hopefully increase that number of titles. So they might be continuing to acquire digitized content from other suppliers, or they may be making arrangements to digitize microfilm uh, and do it themselves. And of course, another question, will all of the newspapers currently available on Ancestry.com remain available there? And according to reps over at Ancestry, they say that currently there are no plans to move any content from Ancestry.com. And of course, that means no guarantees. But that's kind of the case on the line, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, In terms of the internet, things are always fast moving. So while they can't say what's going to happen in the future, right now, that's not in the current plans. And, um, you know, one of the things I was really wondering was, if they're going to be identifying which records do overlap between Ancestry.com and Newspapers.com, that gets kind of confusing. You know, you can look at one site and then you look at the other and it's you spend a lot of time trying to cross-reference and see, am I buying something additional to what I already have access to or am I actually paying for it a second time? I posed this question to the folks at Ancestry and they say they don't plan to identify the content that overlaps with Ancestry since it will become a small minority of the content uh, as they add more newspapers to the website. 
However, uh, they are offering Ancestry subscribers a 50% discount so that the annual newspapers.com website is only $39.95 for Ancestry members. And I think that's supposed to be kind of uh, taking into account there is going to be some overlap. Uh, and they're promoting that on their website. So I'm a little disappointed that they aren't going to be saying, you know, putting a little icon for Ancestry next to items so that you can just tell the difference and make that decision as to whether it's a good value. Uh, because, you know, here's the problem. Even getting 50% discount on something you already have, you know, isn't a good deal. <laughs> but getting a newspaper that you don't already have access to is a great deal. So it's just the ability to be able to figure out between the two. So that's going to be interesting. Another question that I have heard come up is, uh, are they going to no longer add newspapers to Ancestry.com? You know, we've we've bought our Ancestry website membership. Uh, newspapers is part of that. So you're kind of, your thought is that uh, they're going to continue to build up that collection. But is that going to be the case now with uh, newspapers.com coming online? They say that their current plan is to make newspapers.com the primary site for historical newspaper content. But there is going to be still obituary collections on Ancestry, various text extracts of newspapers or other newspaper content uh, that they might come across in the future that could make more sense to add to the Ancestry website collection than to the newspaper one. So in other words, while historical newspaper images will most likely be added to newspapers.com rather than Ancestry.com going forward, there may be other forms of newspapers, maybe transcriptions, that they'll be adding to Ancestry.com in the future. Kind of a long-winded way of saying it sounds like, no, there isn't a lot of intention to focus on that any further. It's going to be um, moving over to the Newspapers.com website. And then you may be wondering, do they have newspapers unique to Newspapers.com that aren't going to be available on other newspaper websites? like Genealogy Bank and Newspaper Archive and ProQuest and those types of uh, websites. They are producing content from microfilm. So that's where they're kind of uh, thinking that this is going to make it unique to newspapers.com, at least for now. I mean, I'm sure they can't all keep track of each other. But by going after microfilmed content, uh, which is really good to hear, that means that uh, there may very well be, be things that are just unique to newspapers.com and not found on other websites. So stay tuned. I'm sure they'll be uh, sending out press releases for updates on the content that's being added. It's interesting because I'm sure that, uh, you know, we look at Ancestry.com strictly from a genealogist world perspective, correct? <laughs> we think of it as what do genealogists need? But in reality, um, a company like Ancestry.com and a website like that is a, is a business and it's a company well beyond the genealogy niche. They are, um, like any good company, I suppose, trying to leverage their content and their holdings uh, in as many different ways as they can. And um, as I said, newspapers.com, while it appeals to us, is certainly not uniquely directed at us as genealogists. So um, keep that in the back of your mind as you're looking at what's going on. Uh, and we'll certainly be doing that here on the podcast and uh, talk about how all these ongoing changes with the various uh, major players in the genealogy space, how they affect you and your bottom line, as well as your family tree. And speaking of those changes, uh, Ancestry also announced recently that they have launched a new community support site at Ancestry.com. And I saw this, and I thought, oh, boy. <laughs> well, it'd be wonderful to have more support. We're talking community support. Oh, that could end up being a lot of boards with people hollering and, you know, fussing and 
It's going to be interesting. I was surprised this became kind of a focus area that they were going to launch. But you never know. It might go really well. Maybe they've learned a lot by what's happened in the past of their site and other websites in terms of uh, those interactions and found a way to really make it valuable and, um, you know, reasonable and enjoyable to go and, and to take advantage of. They are positioning this as a perfect place for community collaboration and that it's going to focus mainly on getting started with family history, product questions, how-to discussions, and general help-related topics. And they say here in their press release that while the Ancestry message boards are for finding people and places, the new support communities is the place to go to get answers to product questions and to find tips and solutions that are submitted by community members. I don't know if it's been clarified yet whether Ancestry employees are going to be part of that community. That's going to be interesting. Um, and, of course, the Ancestry community may even reach beyond genealogists. So it's going to be a mix of people. The support community is designed to maximize collaboration and encourage members to engage with each other to share similar real-world experiences and ideas. And it says the nature of this online collaboration venue allows for the information to continually update, improve, and grow along with the industry trends. Uh, it says you can access community support by clicking on Get Help at the top of the Ancestry.com homepage. Once you're on Online Help, you'll see a button for Ask the Community. It's going to be um, on the right-hand side of the page, and that link is going to take you directly to Ancestry's new support communities. They have a program to recognize those members in the community that help the most, and they're kind of introducing what's uh, called a point system. So the system rewards the active participation of loyal members who volunteer their time to help others knock down those brick walls and get the most out of family history research. Points are accumulated by creating posts, commenting, having your comments selected as the best answer, and more. The community needs to be a safe place, they say, in order to have proper collaboration. And so to encourage a healthy community, they're also introducing a community moderation program that encourages open and frequent communication between members, honors their core beliefs, and ensures respectful behavior between members. I, I hope they accomplish it. There's nothing better than having people get their heads together and help each other out. But, you know, they're a big player with uh, a big stake in the game. And certainly, I'm sure people will have their opinions, too. <laughs> so um, we'll have to keep an eye on this and see how the support community goes. We'd love to hear from you if you end up using it. If you have, uh, let me know what your experiences are and whether you think um, that this is uh, the right direction to be going. And finally, MyHeritage. They are not to be left behind in all of this. They have just acquired Genie.com. Uh, they've raised $25 million in new venture capital funds. And they say that it's great news all the way around, especially for the genealogy community. As a larger community, the users of MyHeritage and Genie.com are now going to receive matches with the other website trees. So they're going to be benefiting from trees on both sites in terms of matching up ancestors. MyHeritage says uh, that uh, they hope that with Genie under their umbrella, the MyHeritage network will comprise the most, uh, the world's most diverse collection of historical content with 1.5 billion files in 27 million family trees. And we mentioned that they have raised $25 million. What does that mean? Well, they, they raised that, those funds to continue moving the company forward. 
uh, to boost their operations in the years ahead and to allow MyHeritage to continue to grow and to provide better services to their users. The funding round was led by Bessemer Venture Partners, and they've invested in major companies like LinkedIn, Pinterest, Staples, Skype. So they're in pretty good company, I would say. So lots of movement there. They continue to grow. You know, it wasn't that long ago that they acquired World Vital Records. And with Genie.com under their site, they certainly have a lot more family trees as well over at MyHeritage.com. Okay, well, gosh, we just had a a blitz of a lot of news there. But I want to hear from you as well. We're going to do that over at the mailbox. with so much genealogy news. I've only got time for a couple of uh, emails here. First thing I have here, Jessica has a new blog and she has a question about photo storage. Jessica says, in the last six months, I've discovered and become addicted to podcasts. So I was excited to find yours. I always love when a new episode comes out and I'm listening my way through previous episodes in between times. I wanted to let you know that after about the 10th podcast in a row where you encouraged us to start our own blog, I finally got the message. I started my very own Genia blog a couple of weeks ago. I only have three posts so far, but I'm pretty proud of it. Please check it out and let me know what you think. I'd love to have you let your listeners know about it too, because that would be even more feedback. I'm writing my blog from the perspective of my relentless quest to better understand the life of one particular ancestor of mine, William Park. I call it Knowing William, and in writing it, it really makes me happy. Thanks for the inspiration. My main reason, she says, for writing is that I have a question I was hoping that you could help me with. I recently listened to episode 119, where you talked to Michael Katchen from A Thousand Memories. I was very intrigued by the way they ensure the permanence of the pictures that you put on the site. I'm not into uploading photos to every photo share or social networking site out there because it's just too much work and you have to remember to check them all. But this seemed different. I went to the site, signed up, and uploaded pics to my first shoebox. In the interview, I remember the words like social networking, memorials, and genealogy. I'm confused. All I saw on the site was my shoeboxes and some not very informative FAQs. I know it's been a while, but have they changed the whole premise of the website in in less than a year? Am I missing something obvious? Please help. Thanks from a loyal listener. Well, Jessica, congratulations first on your new blog. I can see from the date on your last post that life has gotten very busy for you too, but I encourage you to keep going. Remember, 
posts on your family history website can be short and sweet. Um, just pack them with searchable keywords so that other researchers who are out there doing Google searches can find you and your blog. And if they're a relative of William Park, hopefully you can make a connection. But I think that's terrific. And um, in regards to a thousand memories, well, of course, since that original podcast episode with Michael Katchen, yes, things have changed a lot. Now, first of all, um, they got in touch with me, oh gosh, I think about six months after we did that interview. And they said they had revamped the site, wanted to get my input on it. And it was interesting because I spent a lot of time looking through it and I came away kind of with the same feeling or sense that you did when you saw it. And I, I said to them, it looks like there's a lot missing <laughs> or, you know, it, it doesn't look as robust. It's not as clear what I'm supposed to do with this and what are the available tools. Interestingly, they seem to be very focused on simplicity. They wanted to make it much simpler, much cleaner. Those are very popular buzzwords these days. Um, but I think for the genealogist, when you're really investing that much time, and, and this is what I told them as well, you really are looking for, in my book, robust. You're looking for rich tools that say, hey, there's a lot you can do here. Uh, it's got some permanence to it. We're investing in it. And it's worth the time and effort of you investing your time to put your photos up there. And it really is an investment of time. So I, I get you on that one. Um, but yes, they have revamped the site. Now, of course, since then, they've been purchased. <laughs> so um, Ancestry.com bought 1000 memories. So that could just, you know, change the whole ball of wax. I don't know what's going to happen. But for now, things have kind of kind of continued on. Um, so are things ever permanent? No, things are never permanent. Uh, it's funny. I, I do this show and I think about, oh, I've got all these plans for next year and the year after. And I, we, we do premium memberships here where you, you, you sign on for a whole year. But it's amazing because things change so quickly. And I think that's one of the differences. I think when you're looking at websites, and I, I've really been giving this a lot of thought lately, the ones who are going to stay and the ones maybe who are going to change uh, this opens a whole nother can of word, worms. What I'm trying to say is when you are talking about a true genealogy website, one whose primary niche and focus is family history, then I think you're looking at more permanence. They're not moving around as much. They're, they're part of the, the greater genealogy community. I know certainly for me, that's my niche. I mean, I talk a lot about technology here on the show, and certainly I could do a more of a generic technology blog and podcast and in fact, all many of the things I, I share with you here on the show, I'm applying them in terms of how could you use these as a genealogist, but you could certainly turn around and use many of the techniques and tools in other areas of your life. But for me, family history is the passion. Okay, and that's what this is all about. And so that will always remain my focus. And then that's where I'm coming from and doing the show and have lots of years ahead of me uh, and plans and things I want to cover. But the reality is, Many of the companies that you hear about that are coming out, some with a family history spin on them, um, they're coming to you in a variety of different ways. Not everybody wants to be an ancestry for the next 30 years. Some of them just want to get purchased in the next 12 months. That's the reality of it. It's becoming clearer and clearer to me. And in fact, I've had to do a lot of really careful thinking about when I recommend a site to you, 
um, and those of you who are listening, when I'm talking about what, what's really exciting me about what I'm finding, I really give it a lot of thought. Is this a family history site? Or is this a tool that is firmly enough in its own niche that we can rely on it as genealogists and use it for what we're doing? Or is this a company that is um, creating content and putting something together, getting venture capitalists, that kind of stuff, looking to position itself to be purchased and get the big buyout for all the owners? There's nothing wrong with that. That is business. Uh, and that is how larger companies grow and quickly acquire content to give you fuller and richer experiences on their websites. But it makes it a little challenging when you're trying to be um, a customer of a smaller website because you don't know where it's going, which direction it's coming from. There's another website that uh, has approached me over the last year or so. And while I, I think they're really wonderful people over there, and I enjoy talking with them. I think the site is coming along and it's really attractive. But I have my serious doubts about whether or not they are in it for the long haul or whether they're in it to be positioned to be purchased, which is okay. But what it means is if you, the listener, invest your time in interacting with their site today, when it gets purchased, it, it, things are going to all change. Now, I unfortunately don't have a crystal ball. If you have one, please email it to me. But... <laughs> So I can't, I can never be sure, correct? But I certainly try to keep my antenna out to see because that makes a difference in where you spend your time. I have said it over and over again. I've never met a genealogist who has enough time to do all their family history. And because of that, I'm really kind of choosy about where we invest our time online. Another thing to think about, and, and it's, it's true in this case with this company I'm thinking of, when they first started the company, they were not a genealogy-focused company, which is okay. I wrote a whole book on Google. Google's not a genealogy company, but they have other elements to what they do that tell me they're going to be around for a long time, that it's okay to pass on these tools because they are continuing to invest in them. They keep changing sometimes, but they're going to be around for quite a long time. They're going to be acquiring companies not as likely to be acquired themselves. But this company that I'm talking about um, – while they have a service and they've approached me as somebody in the genealogy community, I think that primarily they approached me because they wanted to see if they couldn't uh, fit into our niche as well, which is okay. But that wasn't their primary focus in creating the company or where their product line was going. So there again, I know just in chatting with them that while their intentions are very good, they really aren't coming from a genealogist's perspective. And we have to take that into account as we're looking at their services and what direction those services may go in the future. This is a long way around of saying, you know, it's all up for grabs. There's good and there's bad. But the most important thing is we keep our eyes open and that we're valuing the time that we spend, that we invest in, in uh, various online companies, that we back ourselves up and have our own copy of the content that we put on websites. But certainly don't be afraid to enjoy and try out and, and mess around with the various sites that come out there. What I have told you from the very beginning at the top of the show as well, is that I consider my job to be to kind of continually take in all that online noise, if you will, and really distill it down to what I think are the best, of the best, the gems. And um, that can change. But I think it's one of the reasons why the online world is exciting, as well as sometimes frustrating. So to answer your question regarding 1,000 Memories, 
I'm not leaning. I'm not spending so much time on those memories right now, simply because I found, as you said, the interface to be um, have been simplified. And it looked like it was thinning out, not building up. <laughs> and so in terms of me building up my photo content on there, for me personally, that wasn't something I decided to continue on with. But um, I really like the fact that there are, are people and companies out there who are continuing to at least create really innovative tools. Um, there's always something exciting and new around the corner. And I have an uh, email here from Barbara. She says she has a new use for Google Alerts. She writes, my great-grandfather, Edmund Charles Clark, was a builder in Bendigo, and many of his houses still stand in Wattle Creek, Bendigo today. I think she's talking about Australia. And she says, I spent a lovely day photographing them, but I cannot go up and knock on all the doors, however. So I have a cute way of finding out just what those houses look like today, especially on the inside. I have an alert in Google for Waddle Street Bendigo, and it works great. Every so often, one of the homes goes up for sale or for rent, and one of the real estate websites has pictures of both the inside and the outside. These come up on my Google alert searches, and I get to see inside the homes that are still standing. One is up for rent at present, and she uh, included some photographs that she agreed to uh, let me share in my show notes page. So I'll have those for you in the show notes. It's at 172 Waddle Street. She says, isn't it lovely? It's still much in the original condition. The Google alert function is really useful for genealogy. And I first found out about it from Genealogy Gems. So thank you very much for the gem. We used it when my son was looking to buy an apartment and wanted to live in a particular street. He found out immediately that something was on the market on that street and bought one. And this was when I had the idea to look for my grandfather's houses. I thought it might be a useful idea for some of your listeners. All the best from Australia. Barbara, I love that application. And there again, you know, we talk about how something can apply to genealogy, but it can also apply to other areas of our life. And um, I, I love it. Now I've got a whole uh, chapter. We talk about uh, Google Alerts, Chapter 6, in my book, The Genealogist Google Toolbox. We've talked about it here on the podcast. I've got lots more strategies in, in the book itself. But I love this one. It, again, it's that idea of um, you, you don't have time, right, to keep checking back. Why not let Google do the work for you? It goes and runs that search every day. And sure enough, you can see from the photos in the show notes page, that, yeah, indeed, she got to see inside the house of her grandfather. Love it when I hear from you guys. Thank you so much. If any of you want to get in touch with me, uh, email me at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail on the voicemail line, 925-272-4021. All right, moving right along. Right after this, we're going to talk to Maureen Taylor about a new film project that she has coming that... Uh, something to do with Revolutionary War history. And that's right after this. Bring me a letter from my proud old dad Who knows that we are winning And I'll bet he's glad For more than any other From my 
I've got some great news for all you genealogists out there. Roots Magic 6 is now available and it offers some of the most customer requested features like online publishing, the ability to search every record, not just people, an editable timeline view, which is really incredible, and new web tags, which lets you link people, sources, places, and research log items to web pages, plus dozens of other great enhancements, and of course, all the built-in features that you've come to enjoy. There is a little something here for everyone. Now, if you're already a devoted Roots Magic user like I am, or if you're looking to take the next step in your family history research and finally start recording your family tree in your own genealogy database, or if you've just been wanting to make a switch to a much more user-friendly program, there's no better time to get your copy of Roots Magic 6. Do it now. Go to rootsmagic.com and download your risk-free trial of Roots Magic 6. You'll see why professionals and beginners alike choose Roots Magic at rootsmagic.com. Taylor, the photo detective, has spent 10 years uncovering photographs and researching the lives of Revolutionary War era men and women featured in her last muster books, published by Kent State University Press. Now these images will be the basis of a film revealing the stories behind the photographs and the people, interviews with descendants, and footage revealing how and where these patriots lived. The film project is called Revolutionary Voices, a Last Muster Film. Maureen's production partner in this endeavor is Pam Pacelli Cooper. She's the president of an award-winning Verissima Productions, who specializes in bringing historical subjects to life for today's audiences. And joining me today are both Maureen Taylor and Pam Pacelli Cooper. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Hey, Lisa. Wonderful to talk to you. You know, Maureen, I know that your your books have been very popular, but what prompted you to bring The Last Muster to film? Lisa, the books only represent a small part of the story of these images. There's always a backstory of how they came to me or how I found them, and then there's other stories related to them. What I hear once the books are in print is people who are descended from those people in the photographs then write to me and say they have another story they want to tell me or did I know that person's house was still standing or that they own some artifacts. So we're hoping to wrap it all together and really bring some depth to those images. So I'm guessing, um, I'm trying to envision, is it something like a Ken Burns where you're telling further into the stories behind these people or are you going to be talking more about how the book came into being? 
Well, we're going to do both, Lisa. Uh, we're going to begin the film really with the story of Maureen's process of discovery because that is so fascinating in and of itself. It was a, an eight to ten year labor of love to begin with. And then we are going to take different categories of people in the book. We're going to talk about soldiers and helpers and descendants, and we're going to go to various locations and flesh out the stories of maybe five to ten people to make the film. Wonderful. Really a documentary of sorts. Oh, yes, absolutely. And a documentary that we hope will make history exciting for the layperson, but also for kids in school, because so many children complain about social studies and history. But really, if they get into genealogy and history in a, as a detective story, we're hoping that that will excite them. And you're hearing an ex-social studies teacher speaking up here. So, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Pam, you know, of course, many of us who are passionate about family history, of course, are very familiar with Maureen's works. But how did you guys find each other? Um, and what kind of led to this project? Well, you want to tell your version and I'll tell mine? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if the two versions combine. Um, I gave the keynote address. Uh, several years ago now at the Association of Personal Historians, and they asked me to talk about the last muster project. And I'm um, sorry for this cold, but uh, and at the end of the presentation, a woman came up to me and she said, where would you like to see this project go? And I said, well, I'd really love to see this become a documentary so that I could really tell the story of the pictures in, in, you know, in a different three-dimensional way and that we could talk to descendants and talk about what it means for them to be descended from some of these people and see their pictures. And that woman was Pam Pacelli Cooper, who then said to me, well, she goes, I have a production company and this is who we are and this is what we do. And we have been chatting for about two years, about two years yeah. Yeah. trying to make this happen. Well, for once, I agree with, the uh, Taylor version of history here. <laughs> I, I remember seeing Maureen and being, I love old photographs and my great-great-grandfather was a Civil War hero. And so when, when her lecture was going on, I thought, I have to talk to this person. And uh, it really did begin that way. And now we're in the process of, of really fleshing it out. And as you know, making a documentary is quite a long process. Yes, absolutely. And I want to ask you about that. But but first, Pam, I wanted to say when I visited your website, um, which is at verissima.com, um, I loved your tagline, which is creating a correspondence with the future. Tell yes. me more about that and what you do at Verissima Productions. Well, what we do is we, is we do for individuals, families, and organizations what we're doing for the last muster book. We, people aren't writing letters anymore. Uh, the wealth of material isn't there for archives like the archives that we research. So we take photographs and uh, interviews and we bring them to life so that great-great-grandchildren of the people we're interviewing will understand where they came from and what was going on at the time. Putting things in context is very important, and that's how we create our correspondence with the future. Wonderful. I, I love that line. And, and you're going to be doing a bit of that here. You're going to be, in a sense, corresponding with um, modern-day people, children particularly in classrooms, um, and helping them 
communicate in a way with those from the bygone eras and the Revolutionary War era. You know, a lot of people who watch documentaries don't realize that the couple of hours that you see on film, of course, is months, if not years, of production time. Um, tell us a little bit about that process. You alluded to the fact that it's it's quite extensive. Yes, it is. I mean, done right, it, it can take any anywhere from six months to, I don't want to say many years, but sometimes it does take many years. Um, the first part of the process is, of course, determining your structure, and that's what we are doing right now after you've gotten the idea. And then you go out and you do a lot of background research. Who are you going to interview? Where are you going to interview them? Do you have enough photos? All the kinds of things that, uh, as my husband, who's also my business partner, says, it takes three days to prep a room and four, four hours to paint it. Mm-hmm. You do that, and that's the pre-production work. Get your crews together. Then the production is actually, (coughs) excuse me, the quickest part of the job. You go out and you shoot, and maybe that's a month or two in time. And then the hard work of editing. You know, for every 20 minutes of film you have, you might have six or seven hours of interviews and location scouts. So it's the editing that really makes the film come together, just the same way as a book. Yeah. You know, Maureen, this is going to be a little brutal for you, I think, because you have so many wonderful stories and um, amazing, intense photographs. How are you going to weed this down? Because to really flesh out a story, you can't tell all the stories of all the photographs you have in there. What are you using? Uh, What criteria are you using to kind of pick out the gems that you're going to be focusing on? That's a great, that's a great question, Lisa, because we just had a planning meeting this morning. We do meet every couple of weeks and sort of talk about what we're going to do or what we need to do. And one of the things came up today was we were talking about content and some of the criteria um, involve things like what type of image is it? What quality of image is it? Because for video, you want it to be, as near perfect a 19th century picture as possible. And then who do we know that's descended from those individuals that we could talk with? Um, Are there other ancillary artifacts that might add a richness to the story? And then of course there's travel budget concerns always. How, how many trips can we possibly make? And so that really does narrow down the scope a little bit. Plus these categories help as well. You know, I think one of my favorite categories is the one we call choices, where we've lumped a group of people who have made significant choices in their lives to related to the revolution or related to the years after the revolution. And so there's a few people in that category. So it, it's, it's a little bit easier than it sounds, but... Um, it is pretty brutal, Lisa, because I do get pretty attached to each and every picture's story. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, even in doing genealogy, whether it's our, our our own family or somebody else's family that we're working on, you really become kind of intimately associated with these people that you're learning so much about. Was there a particular, you know, can you reach into that book and say, there's this one photograph that I personally, as Maureen, really want to explore and want to know more about and be able to devote some time to in this film? You really want me to pick just one, Lisa? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there probably was one or two in there that really kind of spoke to you and and sat in your heart as a special one. Oh, 
you know, there are photographs and I would really love to be able to meet the people in the picture and, you know, be there when they're photographed. And volume two, The Last Muster, uh, comes out next spring. And, and there is an image of a man by the name of Balthus Stone that is so wonderful. He, the little description on the inside of the case says that he went to the pension office on such and such a day. He was born on such and such a day. And then at some point, somebody took him to the photo studio to be photographed on that day. And he's a very, very elderly man of not, uh, you know, great financial means. And he's looking at the camera in his little stocking cap. And it's just a great photograph from the early 1840s. It's just fantastic. Wow. And, and then there are people that I uh, that, that I just fall in love with. Like I always mention Molly Ferris Aiken because Molly was a 17-year-old married a Quaker woman. And at some point, according to family folklore, or actually it appears it's more than family folklore, it's, it's her life story, she makes a decision to alert the Americans as to the location of the British troops. Um, when at the time when women really have no voice and the Quakers weren't supposed to make a decision like that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Amazing. What's going to happen now we're talking about, and, and some people might be a little bit unclear on this. The film has not yet gone into production. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us what your time frame is um, and where we, are people going to be able to find this film when it's finished? Okay. So our t- our hopeful time frame, Lisa, is that we will be have the film completed by this time next year, and uh, we will be making it available in several new ways. Uh, one is streaming on the web on a password protected site because so many people are using the web now to view films. Um, and we will have DVDs, which is the traditional way, but uh, that's our time frame. So we are hoping to be shooting in uh, probably sometime between the end of March and the beginning of August next year. We're doing all the pre-production and the research now, and then it will be edited in the early fall so people can have it for holidays next year. Wonderful. It's it's amazing, isn't it, how the web can change the way a film is produced and the way it's viewed. You don't have to necessarily go through, how do I get it distributed through, you know, movie chains. You really can bring a whole nother um, genre of film to the public without um, having to worry about that uh, either it's a blockbuster or it's not, but, but people can really get access to this kind of information. It's a pretty exciting. That's right, including schools and individual, maybe even families who are homeschooling. The one thing, of course, that is the big if around this is that we are working to get this uh, film funded privately because it is such a uh, such a ladder to climb to go to a place like a public television station anymore. So uh, my husband and I have worked on other films that have been privately funded that are historical films, and that's what we're working on right now. We're working with a, a, a 501c3 organization so people can make tax-deductible contributions, people who are interested in history and education, that sort of thing. 
And that's another breakthrough of the web, which is crowdsourcing, the idea that the, the public can actually get involved and get behind helping a film like this get made. If somebody is listening and they're thinking, oh, I want to make sure this happens, is there a way for them to um, help you out and contribute towards the film? Well, actually, there is at, at our website, lastmusterfilm.com, there is a donations page, and people can see our our website and they can go to the donations page and make a contribution and that would be wonderful oh yes folks should like our facebook page we have a, a facebook page called revolutionary voices where if you follow us on facebook you get all the latest news on the project both our fundraising news and some videos that are little videos that are in production um, sort of ancillary things to build interest in the project. I mean, I'm out there as as you are, Lisa, giving lectures all over the country, and I'm just chatting and chatting and chatting with folks about this idea, and the excitement level is just terrific. Fantastic. And how exciting that uh, genealogists everywhere can can help make something like this a reality, even though we don't necessarily get to turn to, to public you know, television anymore necessarily for the kinds of things we want to see. We can help make it possible and make it worldwide. That's what the web's all about. It's it's an amazing project. And how exciting to to um, as much as you can bring Revolutionary War ancestors to life. Right. Right. I'm excited about it. I, I think that, as Maureen and I have said, it's, these photographs are a window. They're a window to the past. That's the beautiful thing about her project, is that when she looked at those photographs, she said, my goodness, who would expect that someone who lived so long ago would be in the first uh, frontier of photography? So one of the things we're actually going to do on our website is have a little, a little picture about how, a little film about how to make a daguerreotype so people can see what, what the process was like for those early photographers and how uh, complicated it was. Oh, fascinating. We have big plans, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> you always have big plans, Maureen, and that's what's so cool and what I love about you. Tell us, and you probably, I'm sure, in addition to all of this, I am assuming I'll be seeing you on the speaking um, circuit in 2013. Where can people find you, Maureen? Oh, yes, Lisa. Where will you and I be in February? At Who Do You Think You Are Live in London? Yes, I can't wait. I know. We're both looking forward to that. And I'm in Topeka, Kansas. Uh, I think I'm in Salt Lake City. I'm, of course, doing some local gigs. You know, it's all being planned out right now, I guess, 2013. And I'm already booking for 2014, so it's all very exciting. Wonderful. Well, of course, you can find out all the specifics about where Maureen's going to be at MaureenTaylor.com. And uh, Maureen, I will be seeing you, as you said, in London at Who Do You Think You Are? That's going to be so much fun. And, and of course, you can check out The Last Muster, the film, at LastMusterFilm.com. And you can check out what Pam does, some pretty wonderful work in terms of um, capturing on film your own family history and your legacy. That's at Verissima.com. It's V-E-R-I-S-S-I-M-A.com. Ladies, how fun. Thank you for letting us have a little peek on what you're going to be busy with in 2013. And I hope that you will come back when this gets released and and uh, share with us some of your experiences about how the whole production went and, of course, the film itself. We look forward to it. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks so much, Lisa. Happy holidays. If you can make love at home
Well, thanks so much for joining me for Genealogy Gems podcast, episode number 146. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Maureen and Pam. Thank you, ladies, for joining us here on the show. And at the top of the show, I said that my goal with this podcast is to cut through all the online noise and bring you the information and gems that you can use for success in your family history life. Well, I want to just leave you with a few thoughts about what I mean by a family history life. I say family history life because I think it's so much more than research. It really is kind of a lifestyle, don't you think? Um, what you and I do is not just try to find ancestors, but we also yearn to learn their stories and to tell their stories. And we want to understand our place and our family's place in history. And, and then we want to go further. We want to share it with our kids and our grandkids. We are striving to leave a legacy that they can lean on learn from, and it will help them feel connected. In upcoming podcasts and, and coming up in 2013, I want to talk more about the connection that happens, the reasons behind why we do our family history research, and some of the ways in which it can really enrich our lives in, in more than just a nice big chart or a nice thick book, but where it really touches our lives. So uh, keep that in mind. Think about your family history life. How does family history touch your life more than just the research that you do? Are you doing a good job of incorporating your findings into your daily life, into your conversation, onto your walls? <laughs> you see what I'm, where I'm going with this. I really feel like we want to make sure that when people see us and they come into our homes and they look at what's on our shelves and they see what's on our walls, uh, and they hear what's in our conversation, that they're touched by the fact that we're very keenly aware of our place in history and their place in history, and that there's so much to be gained from all of that. There really is a legacy for us to leave, and there's so much to be learned. You know, sometimes we grow up in a, in a small nuclear family, and we feel like this is all there is, good, bad, or ugly. And the truth is, when we open the doors to our family history, we realize there are so many more family members to look at and to draw from and to be inspired by. And uh, that's certainly what I hope for you and your family and, and that over the holidays coming up through the Christmas and Hanukkah that you have time around the table, you have time around the fireplace and around the Christmas tree and that you're having a chance to talk about and just gently incorporate your family history into your conversations and into your time together. Because just think about it. We're going to be creating some new family history uh, these next couple of weeks and into 2013. And I uh, certainly hope that it's going to be grand for you as I, I know it will be here in the Cook household. So excited to have a second grandchild around the Christmas tree this year. And um, as you can imagine, well, Davey turns three this weekend on the 15th. And we're going to be having a birthday party for him. And I tell you, Every time he comes over, he talks about the Christmas lights. And it's so funny what a difference it is from last year. And it brings back wonderful memories. When my girls were little, um, what a joy. So wishing you lots of joy. And by the way, if you're a premium member, have I got some joy for you. <laughs> I just posted a brand new premium member video. This is exclusive for you guys who are Genealogy Gems members. You've been asking for it. 
I heard some wonderful feedback that you really enjoyed the Evernote premium video. And what I've got for you, just in time for the holidays, is uh, using your iPad for genealogy and, of course, tablets, too. So if Santa's really good to you this year or um, you take a look at this video and you think, hmm, maybe I can justify, <laughs> and, uh, you know, investing in a tablet or an iPad for myself for 2013 to, to get rolling along, check it out. Uh, I've got a full hour for you showing you the best apps, the best techniques, tips and tricks, I promise you, that are just not obvious on the surface, but will really serve you well. All of it geared to genealogy. I hope you have a blast with it. I had a lot of fun doing it. With that, I will just leave you to it. Go check it out, okay? All right. Thank you so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon. 